Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. I am your host, Al D, and the author of MBA Insider. This podcast is for career-driven professionals looking for advice on how to grow their careers by leveraging the skills, experiences, and knowledge gained from an MBA degree. In each episode, I'll give you a look into the business school experience, along with practical tips, career advice, and real-life stories to help professionals grow their careers. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. My name is Al D. I'm the host of the MBA Insider Podcast and the founder of MBAschool.com. Uh, today, I have the pleasure of having with me Stephanie Leo, who is a MBA graduate from the Kellogg School of Management and someone who I've had the privilege of knowing uh, for a few years now. Um, we actually both uh, overlapped in our time working together at Deloitte Consulting back in the day. Uh, but since graduating from business school and the Kellogg School of Management, Stephanie's had a career within the tech industry uh, spanning a number of different blue chip tech companies. And today I'm excited to talk to Stephanie about her post-MBA journey in her life and in her career and what she's learned from all of that. I know that a lot of folks out there who listen are very curious about career changes, particularly those who have gone to business school and made transitions. And I would love to talk to her about hers and her reflections on it. Stephanie, thank you so much for joining me. I always love uh, having folks on the podcast who I've gotten to know over the years. And I guess even before we jump in, maybe just would love to start with a warm-up question because that's always what I do. And I would love to know from what's a podcast or what's a show or what's a book that you've either listened to, that you've watched, or that you read recently uh, that you enjoyed. Ooh, I love talking about content. And it's so great to be on the podcast, by the way. I love listening to all of the interviews you've done so far. I think our book that I've read recently that I've been thinking a lot about is it's actually got a pretty shocking title, but it's called People Love Dead Jews by Dara Horn. And it's essentially, you know, a series of essays as she works through basically how modern anti-Semitism functions in society and culture. And I picked it up as a recommendation last year and just got around to it recently. And it was a pretty just insightful commentary that really helped shift um, my thinking on some things. But I love reading books that just help expand my view of the world, of people I work with, of, you know, how lived experiences of my friends might be shaped by different things that they carry in life. And so whether it's, you know, reading books, sort of celebrating Asian American History Month or just like other perspectives, I'm always trying to look for things that expand my my own worldview. Thank you for sharing that. And I definitely agree with you just in terms of reading books that can help expand your worldview and help you better see and understand uh, the people that are around you. So thanks. It's a tough title to explain away. It is. Context though, you know, and they just kind of see you reading it. No, it's really good. Yeah. It's not a a hateful book. Of course. Well, great. Well, Stephanie, maybe just to kick this off, why don't you talk to me a little bit about what did you do before you went to Kellogg and why did you originally choose to get an MBA in the first place? You mentioned our, our shared sojourn through Deloitte. That was my first job out of undergrad. And I think it was a really great way to build the toolkit of how to be a professional, how to communicate and how to get things done. And I, I think it was during that time that I started just feeling that I wanted more ownership over some of the projects that I was working on, where I, I wanted the satisfaction of having skin in the game. And, and you know, when it's a client project, you you can care a lot about the execution, but ultimately someone else is responsible for the outcomes and, and 
delivering on what happens, you know, for their career. So I started thinking about how I wanted to actually use the skills I had gained towards an objective. Like what was that area I wanted to now apply all of my newfound change management and people management skills to some extent. And I actually started by just applying to jobs with titles that I thought I wanted. And I, you know, I would like rush, you know, back then it was so much harder to to interview. And so I would like rush home after an engagement and, you know, jump online and I would talk to people sometimes, you know, had to do really badly, frankly, in these interview calls. But it was a very brutal and fast way to learn that I had gaps that I needed to address before I would really feel comfortable going out there and being able to both, you know, work in um, the industry I wanted to go into and, and also just kind of mature as a business maker. So as I was going through that process, I also had the chance to do lots of coffee chats and just talk with people about how they had, how they had grown in their career. And something that was really interesting was, you know, I talked to a lot of women and just like people of color that I really admired. And they pretty much consistently told me that a big key to their success was graduate school and just having the credibility to walk into a room and ask questions or probe things. It wasn't necessarily the degree alone that got them success, but it was a pretty key ingredient to to getting to where they were. And so they were really encouraging when I told them that I was exploring business school. I think that is a great story and really the lesson I take away from it and from talking to you about it previously is just the willingness to, once you got to a point where you were realizing, hey, I might not necessarily be as prepared or a good fit for some of these roles. What can I do now? And the answer to you was to use the resources that you had in terms of having a network, being able to talk to people, getting to hear more about them, to use that as a means to find that next opportunity, which certainly led you to a great opportunity in terms of getting an MBA and going to Kellogg and just the ability to, in that moment, realize, hey, something's not working the way I want it to, but let me think about other things I could do to help propel me forward. And it certainly got you to a much better path. And I think it's so difficult when you're in a role that takes everything out of you, both in terms of the intellectual like demands on your brain. Like it is so hard to then expand your your thinking on what's possible. And so just being able to carve out even like a couple hours a week to look at job descriptions that sounded wildly different from what I was doing and then just try to dive into, you know, what would it take to actually get past these levels of interviews just started to kind of open my aperture to what was possible. And I think especially in early career, you like at least I didn't have a good sense of what was available to me because I was I was so committed to being good at my current job, you know, that I, I didn't even consider anything else. And I didn't have a lot of other friends, frankly, who were doing things that were very different from consulting or banking at the time to kind of compare to. Yeah. I, you know, when you're early in career, you, not maybe some people have the experience and the network to, to know what is possible, but I, you know, in my friend's circle graduating from Georgetown, a lot of my friends were also consultants or bankers or academics. And so, you know, if I needed a group of people to just compare what was next 
for us in our stage of career or even exchange information on like what was reasonable pay or how to negotiate through the situations, I felt like I had a pretty kind of narrow view into what was possible. So just starting to open up that aperture, considering business school where I would get an additional network of people who were doing all sorts of different things in business was, was really exciting to me. So a couple of things you said there that I just want to highlight. So the, the first thing that you said just around, it, it can be hard when you're working in any job, particularly one that demands a lot of your mental and physical energy to have time to job search, right? And when I was used to do career coaching, that was always something that came up uh, with people mm-hmm. because it can be so taxing. But in particular, uh, for consultants, at least, quote unquote, back in our day, when we were on the client site or traveling, it was really hard to find the time and space to do that. And I think during COVID, certainly it got slightly better in the sense that instead of you know trying to be in the client site and trying to find a, a phone booth that no one could see you in to take a phone screen, you could just do it at home without really having to think about it. But it still does take a lot of courage as well as prioritization to when you're in a demanding job to think about what it is you want to do next. And, and so I can definitely appreciate and relate to that. And just a quick story, I don't know how I've ever told the story, but I actually, when I, when I left consulting, I ran into this very challenge where I was on literally on a project where there, we had one team room and there really wasn't anywhere else you could go to take calls and we needed to, you know, be on the client site five days a week. And so I had to have a really, really, what I thought was a really difficult conversation with the partner on the engagement to basically be like, I'm actively looking for a new job. There's literally no way Mm -hmm. that I can do both of these things right now. Is there anything we could do to work together so that I can still contribute meaningfully to the team and to the client while I also find a way to advance my own personal goals and professional goals? And to his credit, he supported me and basically said to me, you're a contributing member of this team. Like we respect you a lot and I respect this profession. And so I want to do what's right by you. So you tell me what you need and we'll, we'll make it work. And it was a really humbling moment for me because this was the first time that I worked with this partner. I didn't really know him outside of that. And it could have entirely gone another way. And outside of that experience, I would have told you that he was very much an old school thinker in terms of just how he approached the engagement and how he operated. But by giving me that grace and that space, that was the thing that enabled me to eventually land my next opportunity at Salesforce. But if I, if I didn't have that, mm. it would have been a lot, would have been a lot harder. And so Rick, if you're listening, thank you. But I just couldn't relate to that so yeah. much because I, I felt yeah. it. Yeah. I, I mean, one, like it's amazing that you felt you had the courage to be transparent about where you were and also read the situation where, I mean, I, I assume that you had accurately gauged that this would not completely blow up in your face. Um, and, and that's not always possible, right? But it, it there is the mental load for sure of not only doing the work to make sure that you are positioning yourself well as you search and, you know, discerning which jobs sound exciting, which teams are healthy, but also the mental load of like feeling like you're sneaking around and still wanting to, you know, if you're a person of integrity, still wanting to deliver for your team. And so being able to remove that in your example, I just, it's, it's a really good example of one way to approach the situation if that's available to you. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. 
So let's, let's fast forward a little bit. You go to Kellogg, maybe just talk about what was one or two meaningful experiences from your time at Kellogg that you look back upon fondly about. Yeah. You know, everyone tells you like business school is such a magical <laughs> couple years of their lives. And it was really that in a lot of ways for me. I, I had gotten, it wasn't unusual, but I had gotten engaged before business school and got married um, after my first semester. For me, like it's kind of difficult to extricate like business school from how I think about like being newlywed. And I was really intentional about wanting to make space for my personal life, even as we were encouraged to you know, throw ourselves into socializing and networking and all the like fun fun things that business school is supposed to offer you. So I guess there were there were kind of two things that I always you know think back on. I I really appreciated finding other friends who were super smart and um, ambitious about their next steps, but also seemed to value that personal time that they could have with their existing friend networks or their families. And just kind of building that camaraderie with people that I would eventually like continue to chat with on big group threads as we navigated career and or, you know, needed to bounce ideas off of or say like, hey, this is kind of what I'm going to ask for in my next role. What does it sound like to you? I think was was invaluable. So finding finding people who are sharing those same values in that environment of business school. I don't know that there was one moment I could point to, but I definitely accumulated a lot of good folks along the way there. And then the second thing was I, I did a ton of like case competitions, which I, I think it was just such a fun, fun way to kind of break out of the, my consulting mindset of needing to kind of go into everything with like an approach and document and just kind of like throw that out the window. These case competitions were super fast paced and, you know, you had to kind of turn an idea around and that often meant picking the least bad idea. And then just giving our all to how we were going to pitch it. And I don't, you know, I don't know that it was always an experience that like generated good ideas or thorough business thinking, but it was really fun. It was like, it was the business school version of getting in a sandbox with your friends and like building a castle and then like telling yourselves a fictional story about it, you know? And that was another kind of fun way to meet different people and just dabble in a ton of different industries. Yeah, I can totally see that. And I think to your point, the beauty of going particularly to a school like Kellogg, which is fairly on the larger side, is that you can find people who fit your jam, right? Who share those beliefs or values or share that mindset and approach. And I also would, I'm assuming that the part of the foundation you lay in business school in terms of building those friendships and connections is something that has helped and carried you even after graduating and going back into the professional world. Yeah, both of my educational experiences shaped me in different ways. I would say I have really wonderful friends from undergrad who do very different things from what I do. And, and that's definitely given me uh, insight into kind of the non-corporate side of things. But as somebody who's been in tech, like it's really helpful to have other friends in tech or who have career switched into tech who can talk shop and be part of also shifting the culture where we feel like there's room to to grow 
then as people, you just need people cheering you on to, to make tough calls. I don't know if you reach out to people when you were trying to interview and break into Salesforce, but like, I don't know, without people telling me like, yes, like, it's okay. Like, tell your boss what's going on. Like, I don't know if I could do the same thing. Sure. Okay. So talk a little bit about graduating from Kellogg and being an MBA, post-MBA grad and transitioning back to the professional world, starting a new career or a new industry. What was that experience like? I had so much energy coming out of business school, going back into the professional world. Like I was really refreshed after two years. And especially, you know, I think having the opportunity to intern um, in the summer in between my first and second year, I, I knew the culture at Microsoft really well. That's where I had interned. And that's where I was going to after Kellogg. So I, I knew the culture. I knew um, for the most part what I was going to be doing. And I had had a whole year of learning and just kind of investing in my own growth to go into that job with lots of excitement, lots of energy and just a real like thirst. And I, I think that's special, you know, even just being a couple years out from that it changes and you have to learn to kind of conserve your energy for the marathon. But like coming out of school, you know, you just, you have nothing but unbridled enthusiasm to throw yourself into work. I can definitely agree with that. And I think it was something that I, I if I reflect back on my own experience, I, I probably did as well. And I'd be curious to know what were the main drivers of that or like what fueled that mm. or what, mm-hmm. or, or maybe, or the opposite of that, what, what yeah. maybe would drain that. Yeah. And I actually think because you've sort of taken a break, you actually have to be even more careful coming out of it that you're not burning out. I think about how, you know, athletes who are recovering from injury get back into their workout routine or back into the game. And I have not competed (laughs) as an athlete before. So I'm just totally inspired by it, but have no actual personal experience doing it. But my understanding is that if you rush into like I used to be able to run at this pace for this many miles and you try to do that immediately after your bones have healed or after you know, you're, you've recovered, it's really easy to re-injure yourself. And I, I kind of think about that with like career breaks as well. You have all this energy. And for me, I think a lot of that came from a desire to prove myself. I had changed careers during business school. I had gotten this new degree under my belt and learned lots of things that I now needed to put to the test. And I was excited to do that. But also, I was personally still very mindful of not rushing into patterns that would destroy that right away. And I had learned that also coming out of undergrad into my first career, where I I really gave everything that I had to my job, I think, for that first year post-grad as an undergrad. And you know, just quickly learn like that wasn't always the healthiest mindset. And so I tried as I started my new job, like to maintain hobbies, learn to explore the city where I was now living, make time for friends and family and try to build that actively into how I did work so that it wouldn't be a surprise later on to my boss or to my team that I cared about other things besides work. Yeah. And I can definitely see how some of your past experiences informed your thinking around wanting to to do that right and particularly coming from the consulting industry where it is very easy because of the conditions uh, the of working in client service as well as just the general just opportunities that exist to continue to push yourself for better or for worse 
where it could have you rethink and, and try to reevaluate how you want to do that. And then the other thing I was going to say is that I like your athlete analogy and I 100% you know, agree with it and also would offer it's not even when you get injured. I mean, mm-hmm. as it stands right now, I think the quote is that like LeBron James spends maybe like two or three million dollars a year on his health. To not get injured in the first right. place. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So my husband is very into sports. I learn a lot just by absorbing. What I have observed as well is he's particularly good at finding moments of rest within play. And I think that also draws critique from people, you know, particularly like old school fans who think like, hey, to really be the best, you have to constantly be hustling. But I've even noticed like as somebody who's like a casual observer that like everyone will be running around and he'll find these moments to just like take a micro break where he's not moving around the field and and, and that the field, the court, oh my God. <laughs> and and that, does make a, that does make a yeah. huge difference. And I even remember a friend at Nike telling me that like being able to like loosen your shoes like while you're sitting so that you can get blood flow, like all these like tiny decisions in aggregate can make a big difference whether someone is injured or how they recover after exercise. And, and I think it's very similar with pacing out your life, not just at work, but in general, like thinking in aggregate, what else is causing stress or mental load for your life? And some things may be unavoidable, but what could be budged or adjusted so that those moments where maybe like it's extremely intense at work, like can you offload other things from other areas of your life and vice versa? And I, I think that's where I think I'll, we've talked about this before. I had a manager who um, once I went to when I was unhappy about my rating that year as a consultant, as a junior consultant. And I don't know, her advice was just, you can love the firm all you want, but it will never love you back. And it was so harsh. <laughs> and I, I don't know that that really addressed my own concern about my rating, but I took it to heart to mean that if you don't build relationships and patterns that are actually going to sustain you when things are difficult, you are going to be pretty bereft when things don't work out professionally or if you hit professional bumps. I think that that shifts depending on the culture of the organization, but I guess I would amend that to say, like, you can have great coworkers and teams and you can build relationships with people who who may love you back. But on an organizational level, no one can take care of you like you can. Right. And no one knows how to motivate yourself better than you can. So, you know, it was a mindset shift for me that really made me want to love myself first and and take care of people that I care about and who, who can take care of me before before everything else. What I heard from that, and we can, you can tell me what you think about this, but what I heard from that was that there will always be some kinds of external markers, if you will, that are important to pay attention to and to evaluate because it helps you get a sense of what could be and what you, in some cases, should be working towards. So for example, if you want to perform very well, you know, at a company, it makes sense to look at the, those external measures of how you're evaluated. But if you, that in and of itself is fine, but 
if you don't take the time to think about your own kind of internal measures, however you want to define them, whether it is around your goals or success or whether it is around your productivity or whether it is around your just overall well-being, nobody else is going to do that for you, right? And if you don't have that, and even if you do have great teammates or a great culture, it's all that's good and fine. But if you don't have any self-regulation of any kind, that can lead to potentially not a great place. You need that intrinsic work to give you a barometer of success that is not just appended to whatever the organizational markers of success are. And, you know, we learn this in business. Like, we know this so well in a business context where different stakeholders have different metrics that they're working toward. And when they're not aligned, everyone's always advocating for kind of their perspective and their interests. And we try to make that as close as possible so we can get things done. But somehow when it comes to aligning what's good for the team or the company with what's good for you, like I think there's inherent differences that are okay to acknowledge. And we just have to, at the end of the day, prioritize, you know, how those goals stack up for us. And and I, I think you can make different choices at different points in your life as well. But I think self-regulation is a really great way to put it. If you don't have that internal system, you, I think it's kind of a recipe for living by someone else's definition of success. I, I love like hearing kind of your reflections on pursuing solopreneurship, right? Like that's not a career path that I think we hear about that. I don't know, you could give yourself a promotion every six months if you wanted to. Like now right. you are the supreme founder and I don't know, magician of, yeah. you know, yeah. LD Enterprises. But like, yeah. Would that act, does that actually mean something to you? I think being able to do that does require just so much yeah. um, internal work that I know it's not for everyone, but like, I, I think it's a great example of like, we should strive to have that level of self-regulation, even if you are in like kind of a corporate environment. Yeah, no, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and I had a similar kind of journey and experience to what you just said about being unhappy with a performance rating and having a kind of learning from that moment. And I, in my case, I think I might've gotten a little bit more compassionate love slash tough love in that experience in terms of my manager at the time really made an effort to go out of her way to really uh, help me understand, Hey, like, here's what you could have done better. Or here's if you want to get a better rating next time, uh, what that means. And as an outgrowth of that, it made me the next year and the year after that, when I did get the rating that I wanted and I still felt slightly unhappy, it made me realize that there's got to be something else that's out there. And yeah. that was such a really good, uh, it was a good learning for me in a lot of ways. One, because it helped me get to where I wanted to go or where I thought I wanted to go, which was great. But when I got there, it very much was, if you're familiar with the concept of the hedonic treadmill, where you just keep running and striving and nothing ever feels like it's enough, if it's, particularly if it's extrinsic, that was what I, what I felt. And it really caused me to go down the journey of self-reflection and self-regulation of, all right, well, if it's, if this is fine, but I'm still missing something, like what is, what is that thing? And a lot more of that came certainly post business school and certainly being in business school and having two years to think about these things and have some of these conversations certainly helped with that. But yeah, it was, it was a lot of inner work for sure. 
you can have the platonic ideal of what a successful post MBA career looks like and still grapple with yeah. that. And I think something that has made me reflect on that a lot is the fact that, you know, and when people reach out saying like, you have the dream job that I want, and this is like, your path is like what I want to emulate. And at the same time, you're looking at someone else saying, no, I want this person's trajectory and I want to be where they are. I, I think you start to realize that it's great to have those dreams, but yeah. um, you can't, yeah, you, you don't want your peace to be dependent on reaching a certain thing that's not ultimately going to be fulfilling. Another anecdote that actually came to mind is the other day I got an email from my high school on an alum who had made a really, you know, multi-million dollar donation to the school. And immediately, like, my chats were full of people who had graduated my year saying like, wow, I wish I had like a cool couple million to drop. Why am I so behind? And I was just in that moment thinking about like what a privilege it is to kind of think about how much better your already good career could be. And I'm sure for that donor, like there were things that they still wish they accomplished by this point in their lives too. So the treadmill is is a lie. One standard of success is a lie. Yeah. Unless you you have your own definition. Yeah. I love that. And thank you. Thank you for sharing that. So two anecdotes and then we'll move on. But the first one is that over the past in particular, maybe about a year or so, I really had the chance to meet and connect with a lot of people who are solopreneurs or entrepreneurs or uh, individuals running solo businesses, people who I've, I've admired and respected and looked up to for a long time. And something that has been incredibly humbling as well as meaningful is that when I talk to them and share a little bit about my background and what I'm doing, and I a lot of times will ask for advice or anything I can do, I'm going to them because I don't think I have it figured out. And a lot of them tell me that their number one piece of advice is just keep doing what you're doing because it's it's working. And either A, like you're much farther along than I was where you are, or B, your mindset around this is so much better and more advanced than either my own or where I was when you were. And that's not meant to say that I'm better or worse, but to your point about looking out and like looking at these people that you admire and you're like, I just want to be like you and having them come back to me to say, no, just be you and keep doing it has been so humbling and affirming in those moments. And, and just honestly, super, super cool. Because I will say like being on my own path right now that I'm on, it is sometimes really hard when there aren't mile markers that I'm used to being able to have the ability to track to. So that has been a really surprising and interesting experience, but something I'm grateful for. And then the other thing I was just going to add is that I will let you know to date, I have gotten the best rating on my own performance reviews <laughs> that I have done for myself. Amazing. I've always gotten the top rating. No, no. Employee of the month. Yeah, exactly. Employee of the month, uh, 12, 12 months running. Uh, undefeated. So that is a nice thing about being in it for yourself. But yeah. 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 No, I, I that's such a, it's such a great point. You know, you want to be you and you also just, you don't have a choice. Like you are you, like there's no way you can replicate someone else's path exactly and have the same results. So I, yeah. I appreciate when like interviews, you know, I, I do love how I built this as well. I was also thinking of just all the kind of navel gazy books that have come out recently about like different tech founders. But the, the thing that I always kind of take away is just how, you know, you can have this one consuming goal, but like 
neglect everything else in your life in the pursuit of that goal. And and that's actually a model that really works for some people. And they're, I'm sure they don't regret a lot of their journey, but you also have to ask, like, am I willing to, to sacrifice um, along the way to do that? Or is that just something I've been told is the gold standard for being an influential person? But I, I, you know, I don't, do, do you want to go through that? I, I, sometimes I have to really ask myself that when it came to like looking for jobs, like I think what's been really helpful for me is like basically writing a spec doc for what do I want out of this move? What do I want out of this job? What do I want it to look like in my life? Like I really try to locate work within my life as a whole so that I'm not surprised when I get into it that, you know, it's, it's requiring flexibility in some areas and, and giving more flexibility in others. And it's, it's something where I, you know, I've talked to people who say like, Hey, I really want to, I really want to promote quickly within this path. And, and then I'll ask, you know, what do you expect your life to look like once you're at that level of, I don't know, managing a huge team or having a C-suite title for a startup? And, and there's less thought around that. There's less thought around like, am I okay having less time to work out? Or how do I think this is going to affect my family or my finances? I almost kind of just encourage you to like, or encourage, you know, folks who are looking like, don't just look at what the job description says and what they want from you. Like, what is the mirror to all of those bullets for yourself? Yeah, I, I like the spec doc. That's a really, that's a really great idea. Okay, I want to switch gears for a second. I want to ask you about, you've been in a number of, you've been out of business school for a number of years now. And we've had a chance to work in a couple different companies. And I would just, as you think about just the time you've, been out of business school, how has your own idea of career and success for yourself, you know, evolved, right? As you were mentioning, I think before you have, I think have always had a thought around this idea of wanting to be really good or really successful at something in your career, but still also wanting to either, or I think it was, you wanted to, in business school, you wanted to surround yourself with people who wanted to be really good at whatever it was that they defined as their career, but still also wanted to be around other people or enjoy the company of other people. Would just love to know just your own thoughts just around how your own mindset around what success looks like for you has evolved since you've graduated uh, from Kellogg. Mm. I, I still think that core value of wanting to be able to invest in my community, have the bandwidth to give back and being able to prioritize people I think it's still consistent but I think I've sort of expanded on what's possible to do within that pursuit so I, I think one thing that I had really struggled with out of business school and I I don't know if this is relatable as like a, someone else who's done a career transition is kind of this idea that you should just be grateful that you managed the transition and, you know, not be too picky about aligning your interests perfectly. And I think that's actually, you know, still valid advice if you're trying to make the move, like just knowing that it may take multiple steps to get there. But I, I was pretty product or industry agnostic when I graduated other than the, other than the role that I wanted, which was in product marketing, but I didn't have very strong ideas of what exactly what product space I wanted to be in but 
from my consulting background and and from what I had done previously, I, you know, was sort of routed into a more B2B technical IT type of space, which I think was really helpful. Like it really shaped how I learned to work with very technical stakeholders. It was interesting in ways that I didn't expect. But I think in my most recent transition, I've kind of learned that I can also explore intellectual interests through my work that are a little bit closer to home than than kind of what I was doing previously. I think I just had assumed that it wasn't possible to balance all of my needs and also kind of do things that were a little bit more interesting to to me personally. But that's where the spec doc that we talked about was kind of helpful is that I don't know that that was a blocker for me looking at different roles, but I, I basically like wrote everything down and I kind of reflected on how I would weight all of those things. And if you can meet all of your needs and demands for what a job looks like and, you know, the people are great and it's engaging on an intellectual level, like for me as somebody who wants to always be learning, I think that's, that's exciting. Yeah. No. And I think to your point, about making career changes and not being too picky. I mean, I think the spirit of that advice is, I think there's definitely some important truths in it, but at the end of the day, you have to do something that you want to show up to each day for better or for, for in the good times and the challenging ones, right? Because there's going to be both. And I think what's missing in that context, in that conversation or the nuance there is the point you made about really determining what those characteristics or qualities or things are that are going, that are just non-negotiable for you to, to have that. And it may not mean you get everything, but it's important to, to know what those are. And because that's going to help you do your best and be excited about the work you do, which I think in theory should help you do a great job and make you happy. But the other reality of it sometimes is that we're, I think we're better today than we, we were maybe five or 10 years ago, but we are still not great in terms of overcoming our biases for people who switch jobs, functions, or careers. We just are not quite there yet. Yeah. So what's been interesting is I, 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 as soon as you announce that you're going to a new job, you get, um, tons of messages from people who say, you know, I want to do that too, or. I've thought about it, but I ultimately decided not to do it, which is, which is interesting. I, I think just the act of change kind of creates a ripple effect. And I know you've done a lot of research into the great reshuffle in general, but something I've experienced personally is one, one change prompts other people to think about their lives and whether they also want to change as well. But the thing that kept re reoccurring that What's somewhat sad for me to witness was a lot of people who expressed unhappiness where they were or a desire to try something new, but also felt limited by this belief that they couldn't replicate what was working for them anywhere else. Again, like only you know if that's really true or not. But as we probed, it it was it was also obvious that I think for a lot of people, they just haven't tried or had the ability to talk to somebody who had also had that same requirement for their life that they had managed to find fulfilled elsewhere. That's for me how I've kind of redefined risk. It's not the risk of like 
there is risk of trying something new and it fails, but there's also risk in staying where you are because you sadly didn't realize that you could have all those things you wanted and more somewhere else, you know? I've learned a lot through my LinkedIn message <laughs> inbox. It's not just a platform where people are constantly pleased or thrilled to excite to announce things, but it's also a place where I think people get pretty, pretty real in the conventional. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad you said that. And part of the reason why I started a podcast is because as we were, I think we were talking about this before we jumped on here, but I always joke that half the time the podcast episodes end up being things that happened in the DMs or the text messages mm -hmm. of people I know that yep. I'm just trying to put in a storytelling format. There's obviously good reasons to celebrate things on LinkedIn, but I have gotten many of the same messages as well. And whether it's LinkedIn or any of these other platforms, yeah, like these are things people are thinking about, talking about. And yeah, if you are someone who is going through a transition of any sorts and you announce it, I bet you will run into something very similar. But I also just think it speaks to what you were saying in terms of it is what you, it's something that's there, but then when it becomes visible, it all of a sudden, I think, gives people the permission to uh, wonder and to explore more. And I just actually had a really incredible example of this where I have been hosting small events uh, for the past six months or so, talking about careers and work and the like. And I asked one someone to be a speaker at an event. And she said to me, yes, I'd love to. And the reason why, part of the reason why is because I went to one of your events a couple months ago and one of the speakers just said something that finally gave me the permission to let go of the fact that the thing that I wanted to do post-business school is not the thing I want to do anymore. And now I'm in a new role that is completely different. And if I hadn't heard what she had said, if I hadn't heard her story, like I don't think I would have done that. And it just spoke, it was humbling for me knowing that that was something that we were able to help her do. But it speaks to what you, you said, where sometimes it's things that live in our heads, but when we see others do it, it gives us maybe a little bit of encouragement or a little bit of a nudge to wonder, oh, maybe I could, maybe I can do that too. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you're in a culture that has been static for a long time. I think being the first to try something different comes with extra pressure. Yeah, for sure. Okay, Stephanie, this has been a wonderful conversation. I really enjoyed chatting with you. I guess maybe to close out here. So we've talked a lot about your journey post-MBA, what you've learned about your life and career and your own aspirations after graduating from business school, what are, what's some advice you might have either for folks who are about to graduate or other MBAs like you and I who are out there who are post-MBA and, and thinking about their own careers? Form circles of people who can be your sounding board and keep that alive, not just with work stuff, but I think sharing context on how your life's evolved since school or during school and how that's informing what's important to you, I think is is really helpful. I, I think business school will always be there as like that kind of loose network or weak ties uh, concept of you can reach out to anyone about like a professional matter or for a referral or, or whatnot, but not everybody in, I don't know, unless you go to a really small school, maybe will have that deep insight into what's been happening for you on a personal level, like where you want to live, like maybe like what kind of balance in your life you need or, you know, whether you need certain benefits or, or certain things um, to feel supported. And I think having a group of confidants who can be both people who are looking out for you in terms of like a networking 
and opportunity perspective, but also they know a little bit of what your requirements are or opportunities can kind of be that extra filter. And I think figuring who those people are early and how you want to stay connected over time, I think will, will be really beneficial. For a while, I, I had like a recurring call with some of those people and then we all got really busy and it's, it became more of a, a chat. But yeah, I, I think finding finding what works for you. I've heard it cheesily also referred to as like a board of directors, but I think that it's not quite that. I think it's more like your uh, fellow marathoners that you're running with every week to to continue the analogies of exercise that I, I only know theoretically. Uh, I love that exercise and what a way to close. Uh, Stephanie Leo, thank you so much for joining me today and for sharing your story. Thanks, Al. Hi, everyone. Al D here. And thank you so much for listening to the MBA Insider Podcast. If you liked what you heard, make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and to write a review. It will only take 15 seconds. I'd also love to hear what you've been listening to on the podcast and any suggestions you have for how we can improve. Find me on LinkedIn or head over to mbaschooled.com backslash podcast.